This podcast celebrates the cultural connections between the UK and New York. You're listening to Brits and the Big Apple, and I'm Hannah Young. Will Beckett is the owner and founder of Hawksmoor, arguably one of the best steak restaurants in the business. Will and his business partner, Hugh Gott, opened their first Hawksmoor restaurant in 2006 in London's Spitalfields. Twelve years later, and they have nine restaurants in the UK, from Edinburgh to Manchester to London. And earlier this year, they opened their first international steakhouse here in New York's trendy Flatiron District in a characteristically beautiful building. Hawksmoor is critically acclaimed for its delicious steaks and cocktails. In fact, the Times' as Giles Curran described it as great, great steak, the best you'll find anywhere. It's also a company that takes people and the environment seriously. Under Will's leadership, it's been listed in the top 50 Sunday Times best companies rankings for nine consecutive years, has raised over £700,000 for action against hunger, and recently made a number of ambitious climate commitments. Since its opening in New York, Hawksmoor has fast become one of my favourite places to eat and drink. A beautiful space, incredible food and fab cocktails. Let's get underneath the secret of Hawksmoor's deliciousness. Will, welcome to Brits and the Big Apple. Thank you very much for a lovely introduction. Uh, Do you want to kick off by telling us how you got into the restaurant business? You mentioned Hugh. Hugh's been my best friend since I was 11 years old. We grew up around the corner from each other in St Albans. Hertfordshire. Shout out to St Albans. Another guest with St Albans connections. Yeah, we grew up in food and drink family. So my mum's the uh, the wine columnist for the Guardian newspaper, and Hugh's parents have got this lovely kind of this lovely organic cafe that was doing organic and sustainable long before that was kind of trendy. So we grew up around uh, around food and drink, and we knew we wanted to kind of get into it. Father suggested that we do something a bit more sensible. We get real jobs. So we tried that for a bit, but when we were 26, having realised that we weren't very good at having real jobs and weren't very happy, we, we opened a little bar together in Shoreditch, which was various shades of failure. And we opened another another couple of things, all with bank debt, all various shades of failure. And then, and then in the end, we opened a steak restaurant on Commercial Street in East London in 2006 and just tried to do something that felt British. Sort of. So in a, at a time when... Really, British beef had a bad reputation. We had a really, really fond memory when we were growing up in these food and drink families of how great British beef was. And we thought there was, there was a gap for it. So we tried to do like a British steak restaurant and cocktail bar. 15 years later, uh, here we are in New York. So it sounds like food was very much part of your upbringing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, Hugh's a great, uh, a great cook. He's not a chef, but he's a great cook. And, and But both of us always kind of grew up around really, really good food and drink. And can you cook? Mm, I can. I can cook, but I don't cook very much. Uh, I kind of all the pleasure for me in cooking is kind of the preparation and the getting in the zone of cooking, not having my three children kind of running around shouting at me and the, the certainty that they will complain about whatever it is that you give them. <laughs> I know that feeling. Um, and you talk about a couple of failed ventures flipping that around can you tell us what what makes a successful restaurant and what have you learned through uh those various projects that haven't gone quite so well uh well in terms of what makes a successful restaurant if you i think if hugh was here his answer would be would be almost entirely about what's on the plate 
I mean, he actually is he's really really into design as well as it happens but but he he would really answer about product about food and drink um but for me it's about experience i think you can go to a restaurant where the food is okay and you can have an exceptional time i think it's very hard to, for me personally to go to a restaurant where the food is special but the service and the overall experience is not and enjoy that so I think Hawksmoor is somewhere where you go and you have a really great experience, first and foremost. Almost the, the food is secondary, but I think Hugh would Hugh would find the idea that food is secondary to be insane. So anyway, that, that, that's probably it from a customer point of view or how I see it. But I think in terms of running restaurant business, I think it really helps if you think about it as a people business. And it's interesting to me that lots of the farmers that we work with, beef farmers, consider themselves grass farmers they think about grass more almost as much maybe more than they think about cattle we think about people a lot uh probably about a thousand people work between the 10 restaurants and really if you can look after them if you can make sure they feel happy that they develop that they are as good as they can possibly be and comfortable at work then they in turn really take care of whether customers have a good experience so i tend to think of it that way as like a people business and you've won some awards for that as well. We have won some awards for that. We've, uh, we've been listed as one of the best places to work in the UK in any industry for the last 10 years. So, yeah. That's very impressive. Um, and, and shine a light on um, the team, because I think when people think of restaurants, they obviously think of cooks and they think of servers and they think of bartenders. But who else, who else is, is on the team and you know, break down, break down what makes a restaurant actually function? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I mean, the, 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 we think a lot about management, which is, in a way, it's quite a boring thing to think about, isn't it? But there's a lot of theory behind one of the main things that keeps people happy is having a good manager. We think a lot about people having a good manager. And at Hawksmoor, we're always, we've always got massive massive numbers of applications to be a manager at Hawksmoor we try really hard to look after those people mm. um, we think really really carefully about who they are and how we hire them and I think they in turn sort of set standards and look after the people that work in the restaurants who affect customer experience you know the, the chefs and the, uh, and the waiters and the bartenders so that's that's one possible answer and maybe the other one is uh, kitchen porters uh, or runners I mean, the, the, the people who really customers don't see, but without whom the whole thing just falls apart. Uh, I think probably if you go around and ask most people in restaurants, you know, who are the most important people in the, in the, in the restaurant? Kitchen porters are usually uh, right up there. And somebody else mentioned a runner to me the other day. What, what is a runner? What do they do? They are people who maybe don't take your order and come and check on you and that sort of thing. They're people who, who, really run the food around the building um it's a big thing in new york i mean new york restaurants are typically run slightly differently from how we run them so in in a normal new york restaurant i think you would be the waiter and you would just attend to the table and someone else would do all of the kind of the hard yards and running around and clearing the table etc and at Hawksmoor, we ask you to do a bit more of that and we ask the runners to kind of be comfortable talking to tables and stuff but those are, that's what a runner does. I think I mentioned this before. I lived above Foxlow 
one of your early adventures, uh, which I was sorry uh, didn't um, survive, but I am. Um, uh, I used to take the post actually to your team. You were always very kind. <laughs> there you are. You could be a runner. Thank you. There we are. Um, tell us about your New York plans. So you opened earlier this year. Um, why did you want to open a restaurant in New York? Yeah, I mean this this restaurant must be one of the longest in the making restaurants ever that can't that can't quite be true but i mean it, it it's it's been a project of ours for a long time so if i think back to 2009 we had one restaurant and we were about to open our second one in covent garden in london and uh quite a few of us came over here with the aim of kind of really soaking in new york and uh and being inspired and we went around a whole load of places and and if you knew what you were looking for actually you could still do a little tour of new york restaurants and kind of see bits of inspiration that exist throughout uh the hawksmoor estate but you know we we loved the, the restaurants here and and we really took a lot from people like danny meyer who i think had spoken quite a bit about how to run a restaurant business and how to think about people and um so we always kind of felt really inspired by new york but we hadn't taken the idea of opening here beyond maybe me and Hugh on that trip might have kind of gone quietly to each other. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if we had a restaurant? It'd be so cool. Uh, a bit like, you know, if you're kind of 10 and grow up playing football, you're like, oh, we could score a goal in the cup final. <laughs> we thought we could have a restaurant in New York. And, uh, and fast forward to 2014, we got invited to New York by the people who are in charge of all the leasing for the new World Trade Center building. And they showed us around the flagship restaurant of the World Trade Center and said, we'd, we'd like you to, to apply to do this because we think Hawksmoor would be great in New York and to do it in this, in this space. And I remember standing in this 14,000 square foot building in the World Trade Center. Um, it was 14,000 square foot space, so in the World Trade Center thinking, firstly, Oh my god! I feel so kind of emotional at the idea that someone would be uh, would be asking us to open New York. And then the second thought was, "Oh my god! I cannot make this decision <laughs> on the back of feeling all emotional and like a bit, you know, a bit proud of a bit proud of standing in New York at this moment." So we spent a really long time trying to think about that. In the end, we 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 did sign up uh, to that space, which for convoluted reasons eventually fell through, and we found this incredible building that we're in now, which is the United Charities building, um, which you've seen obviously, but is this incredible, beautiful 19th century space. And we're in this dome ceiling assembly hall. And, and so we, we, we took that, we moved to that, uh, that site. We, we built it over a very long period of time and we were all ready to go on. And the launch was supposed to be in mid-March, 2020. So we got as far as the first trial service with the full team, which happened on the on the thirteenth of March. Oh my gosh! And then we had and then we had to uh, we had to stop it all uh, on that day, which was horrific in retrospect. And then then we had to, then we mothballed it until September this year. So actually, we've 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 genuinely been trying to open this restaurant for seven years. <laughs> Um, and it is finally open now. And it is a beautiful building. And it feels like beautiful buildings are part of the Hawksmoor brand. I mean, is that the case? Are aesthetics important when people walk in? Yeah, it really matters to us, I think, you know, because we're trying to do something that feels quite special. Uh, and we we like, I think, 
the kind of design aesthetic that Hughes imbued in the company is trying to do something that really sort of a feels special but b feels sort of of its place mm. uh, so we do a lot of heritage buildings um actually we have just opened one in london which is not a heritage building but still i think quite special uh but this one really is perfect and i, I i'm not going too far in saying it, it it feels really really special for new york as well you don't see a lot of buildings like that in new york where there is majority newer um buildings and certainly not ones with quite the kind of opulence that dining room has mm. How different is it opening a restaurant in New York to London or other parts of the UK? I mean, in really, really meaningful ways, it's the same, right? All the, you know, the challenges are the same. There's an element in New York like there is in, say, London. If you can build a restaurant with great food and great service and great design, it'll work. You know, that, that, that's the main challenge anyway, is to, is, to try and, is to try and get those elements right. And that's true anywhere you open but New York is different from London there's, there's loads and loads of things that are different customers think a little bit differently the way that staffing works is a little bit different the city state federal legislation is a bit different so there's definitely there's a lot to get your head around maybe one kind of non non-boring restaurateur thing uh, that was on my mind is in London if you're a hot restaurant which you obviously want to be. If you open a new big restaurant, you want to be a hot restaurant. If you're a hot restaurant, you're probably hot for the first three months or something. That's a great result. You know, the critics mm. almost fall over each other to come in in the first couple of weeks. Who's going to get the review out first? And then the next one's come and it sort of, you burn extremely bright for that period of opening. Here, I, lo- I really like the way that critics take their time in coming. You know, if you go to a restaurant in the first two weeks once, you get quite a skewed experience, which may be better, maybe worse than what it's going to end up being. Here, they let the restaurant settle down a little bit, get into its rhythm, and they come two or three times. I think you get a much better view of what of what happens in a restaurant. But it also means that that kind of period of sort of being hot is a little bit different to how it is in London. Presumably they're still on their second or third visit, but what feedback have you had so far? We've had majority really, really good feedback, but we did get uh, an email, one of the reviews that we're really waiting to drop, saying they'd like to come and take photography, which means you know mm. the, the, the reviews have been in. So I, if I say now, yeah, it's been really, it's been really positive for the most part, and then that turns out to be a stinker. It sounds, sound awkward, <laughs> wouldn't it? Uh, but no, for the most part, it has been. It's been really, really good so far. And you mentioned customers. Are, are customers looking for something different out here, or is it actually a fairly similar requirement? A good, tasty steak, a nice cocktail. So I think one of the things that's interesting with Hawksmoor um, is that the demographic in London and here, I think, is different from what the typical demographic might be uh, in a steakhouse. And actually, that's only on my mind because someone from New York pointed it out to me the other day when we had dinner together. He said, you know, you go to most steak restaurants, not just in New York, but anywhere. There's there's a definite skew, isn't there, towards towards middle-aged white guys. And if you look around Hawksmoor, I mean, let's not kid ourselves, those people, of course, are still there and and welcome. But, uh, you know, tables that are, just women, a lot more kind of ethnic minorities there, both in the workforce and in um, mm. and amongst customers. And I like that. I think it should be, Hawksmoor should be a place where you feel really, really comfortable, mm. irrespective, I guess, of who you are, or actually something we've always thought about quite a lot, how you dress. You want mm. to turn up in shorts and flip-flops, or you want to turn up in an immaculate 
suit to make any difference to us whatsoever. Were you concerned about the where you would fit in here in terms of the restaurant industry, or do you think Hawksmoor is unique enough? And I guess a kind of uh, a two-part question around um, the competitiveness of the restaurant industry. Can you give a bit of an insight into how competitive the restaurant industry is in a place like this? Yeah, I mean, well, London and New York must be amongst the most competitive uh, restaurant environments in the world. There's definitely been an element of taking coals to Newcastle of bringing a steak restaurant to New York. I'm, I'm sure, by the way, that anyone who's listening who is not English is like, I wonder what you're talking about <laughs> with taking coals to Newcastle. And that, that, I guess that played on our mind a little bit because, you know, there's loads of incredible sort of institutions here in, in steak restaurants. But at the same time, I, I, I still think London, New York, there's always space for another great restaurant. There's a big assumption there that you can try and build something that is genuinely a great restaurant. But I think if you can... It fits in. I don't think it's 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 so competitive that you couldn't open something great and it would succeed in those cities. Mm. But aside from Hawksmoor, what are your other favourite restaurants in the UK? Well, do you know what's funny? The, the restaurants that I end up going to most, bearing in mind Hawksmoor, I don't know, maybe the average size is about 200 covers between the bar and the, and the, and the restaurant. You know, we do a, a nice, I hope, design job on it. I actually t- end up tending to go to smaller, more neighbourhood, kind of forty-seat restaurants that are sort of chef-owned, and the chef and the chef tends to be there. I think that's probably where I feel happiest. And there are lots and lots of those that I know uh, in London. One of them, by the way, a restaurant called Fours of Win, which closed in Peckham, which was a not particularly nice part of southeast London, or at least not particularly glamorous part of southeast London. One of their one of their dishes that we like the most is inspires one of our bar dishes here actually the the, oh. the coronation cauliflower but so i don't know in new york like i, re- I really like uh, as you know i really like king uh, also um shout out to Josh owned, owned by owned by a lovely english english woman but i just think you know those those small intimate restaurants with a regularly changing menu i think is kind of where i mm. feel happiest you briefly mentioned the pandemic which obviously had a big impact on your restaurant out here but for the business in the UK can you give us a bit of a sense of what impact it had and and what you did to keep the business going and uh, I guess stay in touch with your yeah your clientele it was brutal my sense is that it was probably slightly less brutal than here or at least the the kind of government support that that exists in in the UK was more aimed at kind of maintaining viable businesses and viable employer-employee relationships rather than kind of like a failure safety net, if that makes sense. Mm. So here, you know, for example, the generous unemployment benefit thing, whereas in the UK it was it was based around furlough, really, the idea that people would stay with their employer. But yeah, I mean it was it was horrific at times. But once once we'd got to the stage where we felt sure that we would survive come what may. In some ways, it was quite kind of life affirming. You know, we, we, we went off and we did some things that we would never have done without the pandemic. We did a we did Hawksmoor at home, which is kind of really build your own Hawksmoor experience at home. Uh, we we pre- prepped all the food. People finish it in the oven. Actually, you can still you can still buy it. It's very popular at the moment for Christmas, funnily enough. We did a huge amount of volunteering. So I think we must have cooked like 50,000 meals for frontline healthcare workers and, and, and people who are kind of struggling with food poverty during the pandemic. We sort of bonded and there was definitely there was definitely a kind of forged by fire element uh, 
to some of the relationships that kind of came out of that pandemic. So yeah, I think it it, it, it was bad, but there were there were kind of silver linings that came out of it, and I've enjoyed I think some of the challenges that have come with it, if that's the right word, enjoying them. It's been good, but here actually it was it was much more difficult in a way because we weren't really you know we weren't established, we hadn't actually opened. Although I think not opening was probably a blessing. If we'd opened a month before this had happened, it would have been worse. We said to any of the Brits who were there you know you come home if you want I think actually we said to them you should come home some of them just felt so committed to New York that they didn't they didn't want to but I think it was a difficult time for those people you know, they hadn't really had the opportunity I think to lay down the kind of foundations in their lives in New York to, to see it through for that long but again they sort of bonded I mean if you talk to our bar manager and our uh, head bartender Adam and Kiri they spent a lot of time kind of working in the prep kitchen, constantly refining, <laughs> refining cocktails and yeah, just kind of chatting to each other and getting to know each other and, and, and improving their relationship as well as the cocktail menu. So there were, there were nice things that came out of it. Yeah. And am I right in thinking that you were also advising the government over that period as well around supporting restaurants and. Yeah. I don't know about advising, but yeah, I got, I, I got involved fairly early on in kind of talking to government about what hospitality was experiencing. So funnily enough, Hospitality Initiative, a massive employer in the UK, I think before the pandemic, it employed like one in nine people mm. in the UK or something, but there wasn't actually a government department that dealt with the hospitality industry. So as that was all kind of getting put together quickly um, and they really needed to understand it quickly, s- some people kind of got pulled in to, to help them do that. And, and I was one of them. And out of that has come something called a hospitality sector council, which is kind of, mm formalized that relationship and I'm, I'm still on that very good I was also going to ask you about the other hot topic around climate change and I mentioned in my introduction that you've uh, made a series of pretty impressive climate commitments including I think during COP26 the big UN climate conference that the UK hosted uh, earlier this year last month in fact um, can you tell us a bit more about where that drive came from what sustainability looks like at Hawksmoor and, and, you know, what are the big challenges for you? If you go back to that time when Hugh and I started out, we always sort of said, you know, we'd like to have a business that did things the right way without maybe ever really articulating what that might mean. And as we kind of progressed, we really started focusing on charity, sustainability and being a good employer. And that sustainability part of it has always kind of been baked into Hawksmoor and how we do things so we're, we're founder members of something called the Sustainable Restaurant Association in the UK uh, which is essentially an organization that kind of benchmarks restaurants on their ethics across a whole range of things for how you treat people to charity community organization but also kind of you know the environment sustainability recycling all that sort of thing so it's a Michelin star type system one star good two stars great three stars exceptional and we've held three stars I think for 12 years now with them but during the pandemic, I think like a lot of people, we, we sat around and thought, you know, are, are we doing the things that we love doing? Are we, uh, are we doing enough? How do we want to come out of this? Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, the nice thing was we, we reaffirmed, I think, to ourselves that kind of Hawksmoor feels like our life work and that we, we really love doing it. But we felt we could go either, even further down that kind of integrity route and that was really the kind of business we wanted to run so 
yeah, in, in COP, at COP26, we said we would go carbon neutral within the year. Actually, we've already done That's that impressive. now. We're now, we're, now, uh, we're now a carbon neutral company. We've switched all of the energy uh, at Hawksmoor to green energy. Uh, all of our food waste now goes anaerobic biodegradable. You know, the, the words, yes. the words that I can't remember exactly <laughs> which ones they are. But yeah, we've, we've really tried to do that. And we're that's something that we want to keep doing. So we've also kind of committed to, we're going to try and start publishing corporate word, our kind of social responsibility. We're going to publish our, our own targets and how we do against them so that we can kind of be held accountable to those things and try and improve every year. So um, going carbon neutral this year felt like a really nice step. And to ask a slightly controversial question, um, obviously cows and red meat yeah. is one of the worst challenges for the environment. How how do you how do you I was going to say get around that but how do you tackle that and and you know how do you feel about that going forward as as we try and encourage people to maybe not completely cut out red meat but diversify their you know what they eat yeah I mean I, I there's there's no doubt that that's that's all true that it's uh it's a challenge I think I think our answer is usually that we are trying to we're trying to do the best possible job we can within that and we think that actually the way we think about meat can be part of the solution rather than part of the problem so i mean there's a there's a whole spectrum isn't there of polluting aspect to beef i mean I, i'm possibly in the wrong country to make this comment but you know some of those kind of massive feedlot operations in this country i think are, are, are quite damaging some of the sort of really intensive uh, agricultural policies in this country and, and and beyond it by the way certainly in kind of places like brazil that involve deforestation are awful i think from a climate point of view whereas what we try and champion is is farmers who are engaging in kind of regenerative agriculture which is really kind of traditional farming methods where without wanting to put too fine a point on it cows eat and then they regenerate the soil and help put carb sequester carbon kind of back into it uh, and actually, that there's, there's quite a lot of uh, really, really interesting work done on how effective that is. Um, so we do that, and we we also, you know, in our in our books, we've said we are kind of part-time vegetarians. You know, I don't we don't mm. eat meat every day, our, or at least our advice would be eat less. But when you do, just kind of eat really mm. consciously. Know where your meat is coming from, and I, I think that you can feel really, really good about the meat that you eat at Hawksmoor, and actually knowing that it is also. A carbon neutral company I help I hope helps with that as well and it is delicious it's funny the the when we when we were doing early days kind of for Hawksmoor thinking about non-meat options I remember going to a steakhouse uh with Hugh and Hugh's wife and Hugh's wife was a long suffering of like I don't want to keep going to two steakhouses a day it's boring <laughs> Anyway, she, and also not particularly healthy. So she ordered the vegetarian uh, and the vegetarian. She, she still describes it as F you on a plate. You know, we always said we, uh, just the worst thing we can imagine is someone feeling as they come in not welcome because of their food choices. Yeah. So we've always tried to make our vegetarian or our non-meat. What's your favourite meal at Hawksmoor? I mean, it just depends from, from day to day. <laughs> maybe at the moment the lobster roller had a lobster roll at Hawksmoor in the in the bar at Hawksmoor on Friday night was well thank you so much for coming on Brits and the Big Apple it's a real uh, pleasure. massive shout out to um the team at Hawksmoor as a diplomat uh I want to give a special mention to your incredible Ferrero Rocher type dessert that you have on the menu which warms my heart 
Uh, and by the time this podcast comes out, uh, I think we can pretty much guarantee you're going to have five star reviews. So congratulations. You're very kind. Thank, thank you. You're listening to Brits in the Big Apple, brought to you by the British Consulate in New York. If you'd like to hear more about the work of the British Consulate, please follow us on Twitter or Instagram at UK in New York. Thank you for listening.